as we study the teachings of Scripture using the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary, as a tour guide to the Bible's main teachings, we come to Lord's Day 33. You'll find that on page 888. In the back of your Psalter hymnals, page 888. The teaching on conversion. Eighty-seven asked, can those who do not turn to God or who are not converted to God from their impenitent and ungrateful ways, can they be saved? And the answer is no. That leads us to the question, well then, what is it to be converted? What does that look like? Am I truly converted? What is the converted life? So, That's where we're at in Lord's Day 33, the teaching on conversion in the Bible. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate it and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for his glory. And not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Then let's turn In our Bibles to Romans 6, I know I have 2 Corinthians 5 in the bulletin, but let's read together Romans 6, 1 through 14. And that reminds me to welcome those who are live streaming with us. Sorry, the passage that had been written out for you has been changed to Romans 6. So if you can grab a Bible or just listen carefully, uh, Romans 6, 1 through 14. page 1120 in your pew Bibles. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members or the parts of your body to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. May he bless it to our lives. Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus, are you truly converted? What does that mean? And that's what Lord's Day 33 is about. Lord's Day 32 says if you're not converted to God, you can't be saved. That begs the question, and it's urgent one. Well, then, what is it to be converted? Am I converted? In the 1980s, a fellow pastor went to grade 13. That was a thing in those days. He went to grade 13 in a public high school in Hamilton. And one day, the whole class was asked one by one by the teacher, what is life? So there they went, up and down the rows. They had rows in those days. What is life? The student He didn't know if he was the only Christian in the class. Didn't know what to say, so he just used the answer he heard so often in the liturgical form for baptism. What is life? Teacher asked him. He said, nothing but a constant death. The other students, you can imagine, we've never heard anything like that. What's he talking about? But that's the Bible. The Christian life is nothing but a constant death. It's a life of constantly dying to our sin and rising to the new life that we already have in Christ by faith. That's the life of conversion. That's what it is to be a converted person. You've crossed over from death to life and now every day you're fighting that old life of sin and you're growing in that new life of Christ. That's what the life of the saved sinner is looks like. And remember, that's what we're dealing with in the third part of the catechism. Why did Jesus save us from our sin? Why? The answer is beautiful. So that we might be renewed in the image of Christ. We might look like Jesus. So that we might become beautiful and glorious. And the life of conversion all about God's daily work in our lives by which we're looking less and less like sin. We're putting it to death. And more and more like Jesus, we're putting on the new man in Christ Jesus, the new person in Christ Jesus. That's Jesus' purpose in your salvation. Have you embraced that purpose for your life? That's true conversion. Embracing that purpose of Jesus, your savior for your life, to die to sin constantly and to live to God constantly. So that's what we see, first of all. The life of true conversion is a life of dying. 
dying. 87 again has asked us, can those be saved who have not turned to God, who are not converted to God from their ungrateful and impenitent ways? And the answer is a clear no. If you're not converted to God, if your life has not turned away from sin and turned to God, then you don't have the spirit, you do not have Christ and you're not saved. Because that's what conversion means, a U-turn. You were walking in the direction of sin away from God. And God took hold of you who warned you with the gospel. He promised you life in Christ. And you turned around and went the other way. It's a U-turn. You turned toward God. You turned in faith to Christ. That's conversion. Or you can see it not as, only as a U-turn, but as a paradigm shift. You're moving from one system or paradigm or pattern to another. Like moving from the imperial system to the metric system. Or from Fahrenheit to Celsius. And all the numbers change. And the way you think, figure out, everything changes. And that's what this Christian life, the converted life is about. You've made the U-turn by the power of God's grace. Romans 6 verse 3. In Christ you have died to sin. Sin no longer reigns in you. It no longer defines you. It no longer controls you. You've repudiated it. You've died to it. You're done with it as your master. And then he says in verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. You embraced a new master, a new way, a new goal, new desires, new hopes, new dreams. been delivered from sin and guilt by Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit now to walk with God in a life of doing good works. You move from walking one way to walking the other way. Yet, this life of conversion is never complete until we die. We've made the U-turn We've moved from one paradigm to a new one. And yet we spend our whole life fighting against the old one, the old way, the old self that used to rule us and no longer rules us but still bugs us, still nips at our heels, still knocks on our door. That's the converted life. You've made the U-turn and now you spend the rest of your life dying to what used to hold you and living to the new you. Putting on the new you, growing in that. Does that describe you? You know, when you convert from Fahrenheit to Celsius, the old Fahrenheit scale can still pull at your heart. I remember the radio announcer, CFPL, who would say, and on the good old Fahrenheit scale, and he would give us the Fahrenheit. You're constantly working to drop the old way that you left behind and to learn the new way that's yours. You've adopted it. It's been given to you by the Lord. And that's what repentance is. Conversion. The first side of it 
dying to what used to rule you. Now you must keep dying to it and putting it to death because it wants to take you over again. And that's why Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin. And then he goes on to say, let sin no longer reign over you. Don't let it in anymore. That's what it does. It comes knocking. Comes knocking on your door. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. Just this once, it'll be fun. You'll feel better. Come on, you need to do this. You have a right to do this because of what he did to you. And Satan and sin just pile on the arguments why you should listen to them. And even though you died to that way of life, and you hate it because it's offensive to God, it's harmful to your neighbor, and it's degrading to yourself. Still, it can have an appeal, can't it? And the converted person who walks by the Spirit hates that old self of proud, arrogant, abusive, lustful, degrading, and ungodly desire and talk and action. And he says to sin when it knocks on your door, let me in, let me in, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Will I let you come in and destroy my Godward life and my testimony to my neighbor and my assurance of faith? No way. But sadly, sometimes a converted person does let sin come in, even gives it a welcome sometimes even looks for it. Please come in, unholy anger. I need you right now. Please come onto my screen and into my heart, disgusting and lewd images, because I need you right now. Oh, I need you, wealth. If only I could be rich, I would be worry-free. I would have no burdens anymore. What a lie that is, because if you had all the money that you, in the world, you'd still be unhappy, wouldn't you? But those idols, those sins can grab us at our weak moments, and we can let them in, and how much damage we can do so quickly to our relationship with God and to our neighbor, and how much damage we can do to ourselves. But you know, if you're converted, the Spirit lives in you and will not let you get away with that for long. You've grieved him. He'll not let you stay in that sin, allow that sin to keep its hold on you. But he'll bother your conscience, he'll poke and he'll prick you. And as the catechism says, you'll have deep sorrow for it, you'll be sorry for it. And you'll hate it more and more and you'll run from it. That's the mark of a convert, dying to sin. That's not me anymore. Christ's death lives in me as the power that kills sin in me. 
And you let the the prophet Nathan into your house to rebuke you. And you'll listen to him when he says, you are the man. As David did. And you'll confess your need, your sin, and you'll repent. And it says more and more. Because that's the Bible's dynamic of the converted life. It's never over. This is a more and more hatred and more and more running. Read Colossians 3. Read Ephesians 5. Read Romans 6. You keep putting sin to death. Because it never stops knocking. Oh, you resist the devil, right? And he flees from you. And then he'll come back, even as he did with Jesus, at a more opportune time. I'll try again later when you're having a bad day. Or when you're feeling really good about yourself. He picks his times well. And you run from it. You search for new ways to protect yourself from going back to that. You install new programs on your computer. You ask people to hold you accountable. That's what a converted person looks like, congregation. Does that look like you? The Spirit either directly confronts you with your sin through the Word. Or he sends a Nathan to you and you hear it in a sermon or in a Bible study or in a conversation or in a visit of an elder. And rather than make excuses and carry on in your sin or rather than pretend you're good and agree and then don't quit your sin, whatever way it might take, the, the, the unconverted person will carry on in it. But the converted person will die to it. Die to it. As his lifelong calling, but also, remember, gift from the Holy Spirit living in him. Because when Jesus died on the cross, his death not only paid for your sin, but becomes a power working in you to quit your sin. It's all in Christ crucified. It's by looking to him. Are you converted? It's a life of dying. But if you only die to sin, only repudiate sin, only reject it, only confess it, and you're only against sin, but you're not living out of the power of the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, You'll have no power to put off the old if you're not putting on the new. Because by faith in Jesus Christ, you have two gifts given to you. The death of Jesus and the resurrection. You get Good Friday and Easter given to you, planted in you as the power of death and new life. You're not only given a hate relationship with our sin, but we're given a love relationship with our God. Sometimes on an oak tree, not all the leaves go off in the fall. They stubbornly hang on. And the only way they'll finally fall off is when the 
new buds begin to push them out. Focusing on the power of Christ's resurrection, the fruit of the Spirit, the new things that have been given can help push out the old. So there's not only in conversion the dying of the old, but the coming to life, the rising of the new. So, so we not only have sorrow over sin and hatred for it and running from it, but there also is in the converted person a holy delight in God. So Paul says in Romans 6, right? God made you alive to God in Christ Jesus, dead to sin and alive to God. You've got eyes to see God and his glory and his grace. And you're constantly standing in awesome wonder at his power and his love, his mercy. So what is the rising to life of the new self? I love the definition of the catechism, wholehearted joy in God through Christ. You are totally wowed with your God. In Christ, God has become your father. In Christ, you've come to God as your father. In Christ, you enjoy God as your father. You came to him ruined with the stench of prostitutes. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. Squandering all his gifts. You've turned your back on him and you come to him and he puts a ring on your finger, gives you a new robe and sandals on your feet. And you get to live in the joy and glory of the presence of your God and Father day after day. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And Jesus, that you would pay for this. That you would go in the place of the sinner the damned sinner, so that I might be blessed with the presence of God daily. You're so glad that Christ has brought you home to God and restored you to a right relationship with him. That's wholehearted joy in God through Christ. That's the life of the convert. Listen to 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And there's another side to the rising to life of the new self. You not only have a hate relationship with sin, but a love relationship with God, wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God doing every kind of good work. So Paul says in Romans 6, verse 13, you who've gone from death and life, from death to life, present the members of your body, the parts of your body as instruments for righteousness. Offer your life to God in holy service. Don't present them to sin anymore. The converted person is not only devoted to God, but devoted to doing the will of God. And here we have a huge problem in postmodern relativist Christianity in the evangelical church in North America. 
where we separate devoted to God, devoted to Jesus, and devoted to doing the will of God in his word, devoted to the word of God, obeying him. I have a love relationship with Jesus, but I'm going to live in the way that fits me. No. No, no, no. If you embrace Jesus as your Savior, you embrace him as your Lord and Master. You can't divide him in half and say, I'll take you and love you as my Savior, but I'm going to do my own thing because this is my truth. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every good work. Jesus warned us against that way of dividing things where you say, I I love you, Jesus, but I'm not going to follow your commandments because he said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You're only a true Christian, a true believer, a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus. If you call him Lord and do what he says, No, we never do it perfectly. And that's what the life of conversion is about. We're daily dying to the things that are not perfect, hating them, sorry for them, and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're committed to that way. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. This is how he describes the life of following Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Does that describe your life? Not only that you're sorry for your sin and you hate it more and more, you find, and you're running from it, but also that you have this wholehearted joy in God through Christ and this love and delight to to do the will of God. Uh, you might say, no, that's not me. Sometimes, you know, I just don't want to do the will of God. And sometimes I have so little joy in God. In fact, sometimes my spiritual desire is low and my sin desire is high. I must not be truly converted. Well, dear Christian, If this alarms you, you're in good company because Paul says in another place, the good that I want to do, I don't. Wretched man that I am. And he says to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Because you're having a hard time with that. Again, I will say rejoice. See, we want this life. This is the life that is ours, but we don't always live it so well. And then we live that constant death of dying to all those imperfections and all that incompleteness of holiness in our lives. We run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and we look for his spirit to grow, to grow in us the defeat of sin, but also to grow in us likeness to Christ. Remember, the genuine convert is never the personally perfect convert. And our salvation is not in our performance, brothers and sisters, but in our Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. It's 
results in his crucifixion and his resurrection, not in my crucifying of my works and my rising to the new life. My salvation's not in that. It's in his crucifixion for my sin, his resurrection to give me new life. And the converted life is that he has planted that in me so I can grow in both. But I'm never perfect in either. Until he returns. That's why the catechism puts it well. It's the dying. So it's an ongoing thing. And the rising. It's an ongoing thing. That's genuine repentance or conversion. And that's the key to this converted life congregation. Don't look to yourself. Look to Christ. Look to his death. That will empower you to die to sin. Look to his resurrection. That will empower you, empower you to live the new life. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. And thirdly, it's a life of obeying God. A very, as we said earlier, radical version of antinomianism, that is anti-lawism, is sweeping through the Christian church where people are saying, I get to love Jesus and yet serve him in whatever way I desire, whatever way fits my personality or orientation or feelings to live my own truth. And suddenly you see how the tables get turned around. I'm no longer his disciple following him. He's my disciple. He's got to follow my desires. Isn't that evil? Is that loving God or loving self? That's loving self. That's not the converted life. Now, when you come to Jesus, and I urge you to do so today, you get the death to that given to you. Death to self, self-will. And you get the life that makes you alive to God and wanting to do his will. This is love for God, says John, 1 John 5, verse 3, to obey his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, Romans 6 verse 12. Don't obey sin's passions. Don't, verse 13, present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What is the Christian life? Nothing but a constant death. Death to self-will and selfish desires when they disagree with God's. We can also add this. What is life? Nothing but a constant resurrection. The coming to life of the new man in Christ. The new woman in Christ. The Spirit's work in renewing me after Christ's image. 
being converted to God means that God now defines the new me and the work he calls me to do. I don't live according to my own human opinion and my own human traditions. But whatever I do must arise out of true faith, conform to God's law and be done for his glory. That's the good life, the life of good works that the converted person surrenders to for God's glory. That's life in the spirit. That's walking with God. As C.S. Lewis has said, many Christians first call on the Lord to do a little bit of fixing in their lives. Like homeowners who call on the repairman to mend the plumbing. But once this repairman gets into your house, he doesn't merely fix the leaky valve and a broken pipe, but he remodels the whole house. He installs new windows and doors and does not stop rebuilding until the shack has become a mansion. That's the work Jesus is doing in your life. It's his power that's doing it. And by faith, we look to that power to kill sin and to grow grace in our lives. Let's trust him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power that has been placed in our lives through faith. Christ crucified and risen, living in us, to die to sin and live to God. There is no power like it in all the earth. May this power, your power, Lord Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior, take hold, take root more and more in our lives and change us from glory to glory. Transform us by your power. We do not want to stay where we're at, Lord. We want to go much further, looking less and less like sin and more and more like Jesus Christ. Please, Lord, please work that in my life. Amen.